This morning, we're going to dive into a two-week teaching series that I'm super excited about. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot and working on uh, in the seven months that we've been here, and uh, something that I'm deeply passionate about and excited to uh, start a conversation about what it might look like for us to be the church in a city like Bend. What would it look like for us to follow Jesus faithfully in this particular place, at this particular time? And how does this culture shape the way that we would follow Christ? And what would it look like for us to be his people here? So we'll start in Jeremiah 29, just read a few verses, starting in chapter 4. And just by way of context, in 586 BC, Jerusalem was destroyed And all of the elite members of the Jewish society, all of the Israelites that had influence, the artisans, the leaders, um, kind of the the professionals of, of the community, were taken into Babylon by force. And they were exiles. And so the prophet Jeremiah receives this word from God, and he writes a letter to God's people in exile. And that letter is what we know as the book of Jeremiah. And so this is God speaking to his people through his prophet Jeremiah, who are exiles. They're they're foreigners in a foreign land trying to figure out how do we live faithfully to our God in a place that doesn't believe what we believe or live how we live. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and daughters and give your, for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we are so thankful for your presence with us this morning. We're thankful that you are here and that you are working deeply within us, sometimes in ways that we can see and other times in ways that we can't right now. But we trust that you are the true father and you are actively fathering us. Actively by your spirit, forming the image of your son within us. And so I find great comfort in that. I find great rest in knowing that you are working here. You are present here. And so we pray this morning, God, would you continue this good work that you've started in us? Would you continue to draw our hearts unto you? Would you continue to make us and shape us into a community that bears the image of your son well in our city? We pray that what we learn here, what we experience here, 
not just today, but every Sunday, would serve to shape and to call and to form us so that this city, when they look at us, gets to see something of what you're like. So we trust you with that, and we invite you. Holy Spirit, would you move deeply amongst us this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Jeremiah's letter is written to God's people living in a city where it's difficult to be God's people. And I hope you can already begin to see some of the parallels and connections to our life and to our moment. And so you guys know that we've only been in Bend for a few months. We're outsiders. And uh, sometimes that doesn't go over really well as I introduce myself to people around town. But the fact is, we're all outsiders, right? Like, three of you were born here. The rest of you guys just moved here like we did a couple years ahead, but you think you own the place now. So, at least I'm an Oregonian, right? Not a Californian or or whatever. But uh, the one thing that I've noticed, or one of the main things that I've noticed, observing Bend and trying to understand this culture and the way people think here and the way people live here and what people value and believe and what people are afraid of and what they celebrate, one thing that I've observed is that when most people here think of Bend, they don't actually think of the city. What we think of is a way of life. Would you agree? So last year, the Oregonian, the newspaper, held a contest to come up with a new slogan for Bend, kind of a new identity statement, a way to identify what this city is all about and who we are. So let me read to you some of the entries that were submitted by readers, most of them here, residents of Bend. Bend, outdoor paradise. Bend, heaven on earth. Bend, a destination and a lifestyle. Bend, pure living. Bend, living where others go for vacation. Bend, not Redmond. (laughs) Bend, the center of the universe. Bend, overall better than where you live. And finally, this is a real entry, Bend, our poop doesn't smell. So you notice a couple themes here, right? When people here think about Bend or talk about our city, they think of a life, a way of living, a lifestyle. It's where you want to live. The winning slogan of the contest was Bend, living at its best. The readers of the Oregonian felt like that captures what this place is all about, living at its best. Okay, so that's really interesting. If you don't know that, that's a really unique way for a people to think about the place that you live. So like uh, when you think of a city, a big city like New York or San Francisco or Seattle or even Portland, right, people think about a city. You think about the structures and the leadership. You think about the politics and kind of the culture and some of the infrastructure of schools and medicine and highways and whatever else. Um, 
when you think about even a smaller town, like a Corvallis or a Eugene or something like that, um, th- there's something there that draws you, like a, in those cases, a, a school, a university. And so you're going there for education or to be part of an educational system. But in Bend, it's about fun. It's about freedom, about adventure, beauty, relaxation, whatever, right? And so most people, when they make a move in life, they're moving to a a city to work there. Or you're moving to a college town to go to school there. But what I've observed is not many people move to Bend to work or to go to school. Why do we move to Bend? To live here. We move here to live here. Because we have, whether we heard that phrase or not, believed something to the idea that in Bend is living at its best. And so obviously, that's a huge generalization. There's, there's all kinds of exceptions, but on the whole, I've observed that to be the case. And so for, in a moment, I want to ask whether or not that slogan is true. Is life in Bend really living at its best? But first, let's just acknowledge something. Even the fact that that's the way people talk about our city, even the caricature that they have, uh, the fact that we get to live here, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Like, I'll be honest, there's times where I feel a little guilty when I'm talking to friends that live in places that just aren't as fun or exciting or whatever. I kind of feel bad that I get to live here. And I actually don't think that's how God would have us respond to the fact that we live in a great place like this. I don't think he would want our main response to be guilt, but rather one of gratitude, right? Thankful. That even if the character isn't entirely true, there is something to it. This is an amazing place. And there's a lot of fun. Like in my, the back of my truck right now, it's just full of life jackets and rubber rafts because who knows when you're going to need them, Right? Nowhere else in the country are people just driving around with rubber rafts in the back of their truck, right? It's amazing. So I don't feel guilty. I feel super grateful that our family gets to live here, and I hope you do too. Like every morning as I'm driving into the office from the east side, I come on Highway 20 around Pilot Butte, and as I come over the hill, the mountains greet me. And almost every day, still seven months into it, it takes my breath away. And it's like my own personal call to worship. And God's just kind of displaying his glory and his majesty and his beauty and his power. And oftentimes as I'm driving, it just leads me to a place of, thank you, God, you're so good. So thankful for who you are and this beautiful place that you've made and that I get to be part of it. So um, all that said, this isn't designed to make us feel guilty. First thing, we should feel grateful that there are certain parts of the slogan that are true. This is an amazing place to live. But now let's dive into this idea a little bit. Living at its best. Does living in a fun, beautiful place like this guarantee a good life? I've got a couple thoughts about it. Um, The first is this, that the mountains and the river and the lakes and the breweries and the trails, they're fun and they're great. Um, But I think we all know that living in a place surrounded by all that good stuff doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to be happy, does it? It doesn't mean that life is going to go our way. It doesn't mean that our family is going to be healthy. 
it doesn't mean that the deepest longings of our hearts are going to be satisfied. Because the truth is that Mount Bachelor isn't going to save your marriage. And the Deschutes isn't going to protect you from cancer. And Phil's trail doesn't care if your kids hate you. And we can enjoy all that stuff as a gift from God and participate in it and have fun. But in the end, if we buy into the lie that life in bend equals life at its best simply because of our environment, our circumstances, our environment of opportunity and fun, we're going to be deeply heartbroken, aren't we? And we can easily fall into the trap of looking to the fun that this city has to offer for only the things that God can give us. So we just spent seven or eight weeks plowing through Paul's letter to the Philippians. And at the heart of what he taught is that our joy is completely disproportionate to our circumstances, isn't it? It's Paul's happiest letter and he's writing from prison. And so here's Paul saying, I've found living at its best. And for him, it looks like sitting alone in a jail cell because he's found life in Christ. He's found the one who can fulfill the desires of his heart and give him the greatest joy and peace and love. And so God doesn't promise an easy life or a happy family or health or any of that. What he promises is that he will be with us no matter what and that his presence is enough. The second issue I have with the idea that Bend is living at its best is the idea that this really only applies to half our city, doesn't it? I didn't realize when I first moved here the dynamic that Highway 97 creates from east to west. So when we think about Bend and all these people that wrote their slogans about Bend, which side are they talking about? You know, don't you? The west side, where life is good. And food is clean and organic and we can walk out our back porch and get on a trail of some kind, right? The reality is there's this whole other side to bend. That, yeah. <laughs> How many east siders do we have in the room? Just, oh my gosh, look at that. All right. We're trying not to create a civil war of any kind here. The, uh, the idea is that we would celebrate that we, we all here, yeah. So, um... We're on the east side. There's a book that came out about three months ago. It's called Our Kids, and it's by a sociologist named Robert Putnam. He's a guy who I've followed and appreciated his work for a while. And he is basically looking at the downfall of the American dream and talking about how it's getting harder and harder for kids coming from less privileged families and contexts to make it in life, if you will. So that divide between the haves and the have-nots, the rich and the poor, is growing wider and wider, is Putnam's theory. 
and uh, that for the kids that are born into have-not environments in our country, it's harder than it's ever been for them to get a good education, to have a healthy view of themselves and, and the world. It's harder for them to get a good career and, and live um, you know, happy, successful life or whatever. And so it's called Our Kids. It's a fascinating read. I picked it up the day it, got, it, it came out, and I didn't even know this, but as I flipped through, I realized that Putnam goes to about eight different cities around the country and does case studies for how this divide is getting bigger and bigger all the time. And one of the cities that he looks at is Bend, Oregon. And he has a whole chapter devoted to recognizing this, this gap here. And he holds it up. He's traveled all over the country. He's an expert in this topic. And he holds up Bend as one of the most pronounced examples of what he's talking about. That you have this highway down the middle of the city. And one side is typically your haves and the other side is the have-nots. And with statistics, it's just shocking. Because if you think of Bend like all the slogans I read earlier, you would never guess it. The east side has a 45% child poverty rate. West side, 5%. The education level of parents on the east side, the income level, the rate of single parents or broken homes, all of it skyrockets on the east side. And he's making the case that it's going to be harder and harder for kids in that kind of environment to have a, a healthy and successful life. Now, what's most interesting about Bend, if we just want to talk about the elephant in the room, is that it's 91% white. And in almost every other city he looks at, there's a racial or piece to this whole divide, right? We know how that works around the world. But here, it's almost strictly socioeconomic. And so... It's really a fascinating take on the whole thing. And so, um, for me, this is a super helpful, convicting, interesting discovery. That when we, as Antioch, talk about being a church in Bend, or what I would propose is that we would talk about being a church for Bend, what if we were a church for all of Bend? for the whole city. And that we, as part of this community, would find ourselves sharing life deeply with people from the other side of the highway. That we could actually become an example to the rest of the city of what it looks like to cross some of the lines that culture draws for us. So at the very least, I would say, let's celebrate the fact that it looked to me about half the room is from the west and half the room's from the east. And some of you are from Redmond, and you're welcome here, too. But. <laughs> so I know talking with Jarrell, even in the context of the youth ministry, the hour or two that his students get to spend every week is the only time most of them are spending time with students from the other side of the highway. That's a beautiful thing to me. That's something worth celebrating. That the blood of Jesus has created a family amongst us that's stronger than the lines that the culture would want to draw. And so it's not about saying one side is better than the other or superior to the other or we need to feel bad for east siders or anything like that. It's saying Jesus is Lord of all and that he cares deeply about this whole city and we want to be people that live into that mission and that vision that he has. 
And so when we think about Bend, we don't typically think about a city. We think about a lifestyle. And it's, I've shot a couple holes in it, but on the whole, there is something to it. It's a place of beauty and adventure and fun. And what I simply want to argue this morning, and we'll unpack this a little bit more in the weeks to come, is that God loves cities. And my logic for that statement is that God loves people and cities are made out of people. So therefore, God loves cities. God cares about Bend. And what's tricky for us as Bendites is that we haven't come here asking the question, how can we serve this city? How can we contribute to the life of all of Bend? How can we make this a place of peace and prosperity? We don't come here asking what we can give to Bend. We come asking what can Bend give to us. How can this place enhance our life? How can this city serve me and give me the life and the lifestyle that I've always dreamt of? If we're honest, that's how most of us got here. And what God is saying to his people through Jeremiah is that I want you to seek the good of the city I've called you to. Wherever it is that you find yourself, I want you to work as agents of my kingdom to advance the common good, to bring joy and peace and prosperity and health and life to that city. God loves people, and cities are made out of people. And he calls us to love him and to love what he loves. And what's hard for us is that we're not here for the people. If you moved here from a big city, you moved here to get away from people, right? To get away from traffic, to get away from the rat race. You came here to have a life of your own, of independence, of fun, adventure, peace and quiet, whatever it is. That's okay. But when we look at the whole of God's creation and all that he made and said was good, Genesis tells us that he makes the the land and the sea and the sky and the stars and the rivers and the animals and the plants, and it's all good and valuable and should be enjoyed and cared for and protected. But then he creates humans in his image and likeness, which sets us apart from the rest of creation in a special way. We're still part of creation, but we have a special role in it. Our role originally is to bear God's image. To be his physical representation on the earth. God's invisible, so he creates bodies, human people, so that when we look at each other, we get to see something of what God's like. That's his creational intent at the beginning. And he sets humans up in a very special and distinct way amongst all creation. Now here's what I'm getting at. If we moved here to get away from people 
And even in the most sincere and spiritual attempt to get out and enjoy God in the beauty of his creation, what's the pinnacle of his creation? It's those darn people. So every time I hear somebody talking about, I experience God in creation, or I need to get, a, get out into creation to go hear from God or be with God, what do they mean? What do we mean? We mean I need to get away from people and get into mountains and rivers and fish and elk because that's where God is. God is there, but he's also in people in a special way. And he calls us to love our fellow image bearers and to shape our life around loving God, loving neighbors. So C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory says that next to the blessed sacrament itself, next to the bread and wine, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. People, your annoying coworker, your weird neighbor, he's saying, that is the most valuable thing you will encounter in your life other than the very body and blood of Christ. And so what that means is that the most haggard, strung out, meth addict in the gutter is more valuable to God than that entire range of mountains. He cares more about that soul than any other part of creation. Now, I'm not arguing for a totally anthropocentric view of creation. It's all good. We need to care for it all, love it all. But do you see, you can't really argue with the fact that we are the only ones that bear God's image. And so when we think about what it means to live as the people of God in a place like Bend, what I'm convinced of, it's not so much that we don't know how to, it's just that we would rather not. It's not that we don't know how to love people and live as servants of all, it's just that we don't really want to. Why? I would argue that the dominant worldview among Bendites is that of individualism. One of the slogans is even bend the center of the universe, <laughs> right? That's how many of us, and notice I'm not talking about them, those bad bendites out there. I'm talking about us. That's how we see the world this, as the center of the universe, that our individual needs and desires and pursuits are more important than the community. And again, this can be seen in the fact that no one moves here asking, what can I do for Bend? But we're asking, what can Bend do for me? We love to talk about life here. And we feel that by moving here, like we've escaped or we've arrived, we've made it in some sense. That we're free from chaos and traffic and parking, free to have the life that we've always wanted. And so beneath the worldview of individualism is the belief that I am the center of the universe. And this is a lie, of course, 
and it's as old as sin itself. Because if you think about what is the core lie that Adam and Eve believed in the garden, it's that they could be like God without God. That they could build a life for themselves where they are the center of the universe and they weren't going to be accountable to a God who would contradict them. And so the problem, pay attention, the problem with individualism isn't just that it's selfish. The problem is that it's not true. You aren't the center of the universe. It's not just selfish to think you are, it's delusional. You've bought into a lie that the world revolves around you, that you're the star of this show. And this creeps into all of our lives at times, right? The world actually does not revolve around you. If you think it does, you've believed a lie. And so to see ourselves as not the center of the universe, to see ourselves in a selfless place where we revolve around God in his world, it's not just like a more humble way to live. It's actually living in tune with the way things actually are. There is a God who created this and all of us. And he is on the throne. And he is at work restoring this place so that it will become his place once again. And one day Jesus will return and make all things new and set the world right again. And we live in hope. And even as we lament crises like Charleston, we know that this isn't how the story ends. It's not about us, but God is up to something in the world. And so as a community of Christ followers that professes our allegiance to Jesus and denies ourselves, meaning denies an individualistic worldview, but rather worships God and lives according to his commands in his grace, if we could, by God's grace, become that kind of community, we would stand in stark contrast to the culture we're embedded in. People would take note of a community that saw themselves not as the center of the universe, but as worshipers of the one true God. And so what does that look like to be the people of God? in the city-like bend. In Luke's account of the Last Supper, we won't turn there for the sake of time. Jesus, in his parting address to his disciples, tells them that I am among you as one who serves. Jesus was not only redefining power and greatness in that moment, but he was actually giving them a glimpse of how his kingdom works in a way that contrasted everything about Rome, about their culture, their city. The creator and the redeemer of the universe washes feet. Jesus displays the heart of God in the most amazing way. He says, if you want to know the creator, the God who made all this, if you want to know what he's really like, let me show you. And as Luke preached a couple weeks ago, takes off his outer robe, he kneels and he washes their feet. 
And I think there's just two quick pieces of this story that would inform our posture as the Antioch community in terms of how we follow God and bend. The first is that Jesus is among them. I am among you as one who serves. And so he's stating in first person what the beginning of John's gospel says about him, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That God the Son has come into our world as a human to be among us, to live with us, to be one of us. And Jesus affirms, yeah, I'm here to be among you, to be with you. And so God would send Jesus into the world to live among those that he's trying to reach. And at the end of John's gospel, Jesus would get up after his resurrection and say, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He would speak to us as his disciples that the same way I came into the world is the way I'm sending you into the world. Meaning, as Christians, our call isn't to separate ourselves from the culture, to protect ourselves from the culture. And we've seen lots of versions of Christianity that that is their whole thing. How can we get as far away from the big bad world out there so that we're not harmed by it? And so we start our own Christian version of everything, right? That's how we ended up with this really weird evangelical subculture in our country, right? We have Christian music and Christian movies and Christian books and Christian t-shirts and Christian bracelets and Christian schools and everything is like we're going to do our own thing and let the world do theirs. Now, I'm not bashing any of those specifically except for maybe Christian movies. Uh, (laughs) The point is... (laughs) that we can quickly find ourselves in a place of separatism where we are not following Jesus to be among the people whom God created and loved. And so he says, I'm sending you as my disciples out into the world to bear my image and to love your neighbors as I have loved you. And the second part of Jesus' teaching statement that needs to shape our church's posture towards our city is this. He's among us, number one. Number two, as one who serves. Jesus doesn't come, he says in other places, to be served, but to serve. Takes on the posture of humility, of servanthood. He doesn't come asking, what can this world, this place, these people do for me? But what can I do for them? How can I give my life so that they may have life and life abundantly? Can you imagine a community of people of whatever we are, four or five hundred, living in a city like Bend as those who live as servants of all? Who are willing to give our lives away for the peace, the prosperity, and the common good of this city. That's Jesus' invitation to us. Yes, come and find life, but also come and die. And what's amazing is that Jesus doesn't just tell us, but he actually shows us. 
that as he gives his life even to the point of death, he breaks himself open and he pours himself out for the healing of the world. And he calls us to be people who would follow him in that as well. To break ourselves open, to pour ourselves out, to die to our individualistic tendencies, to reorient our lives around the good news of God, and to become people who live as servants of all, who bear the image of Christ for our city. I know that may be a vague idea at this point, And next week, we're actually going to dive into some of the specifics of what that might look like for us as a church, of how we could actually begin to flesh this out in real life. But for this morning, I would simply ask you to be attentive to how Jesus might be calling you to live as his servant in this city. In your neighborhood, in your home, in your place of work, in your circle of friends, through your gifts, talents, abilities, and experiences, how might Jesus be leading you to use all that to seek the peace and prosperity of God, God's loved city in Bend? And as you wrestle with that question of what it might look like, you're also going to have to wrestle with deeper questions like, Why don't I want to do that? And what do I love more than people? And what would I choose instead of following God? That's not that fun. But that's where this has to go. Christ has given himself to us and calls us to give ourselves to others. So will you pray with me? And then uh, the band's going to share a special song with us. Father, we're so thankful that you love us enough to come to us, to enter our world, to send your son to be one of us. And it blows our minds that Jesus would come as a servant. The rightful king of the universe washes our feet. God, it humbles us, but at the same time, it empowers us And so I would pray, God, as we begin this conversation today, would you help us in our hearts to pay attention to what you're saying? Would you give us a beautiful, creative, kingdom imagination on how we might reorient our lives together to display and to declare the good news of who you are to this beautiful city? God, I pray that you would help us to love Bend the way you love Bend and that we would be your faithful people here so that even if this city doesn't believe what we believe or value what we value or live the way we live, they would find themselves rejoicing that we are here as we seek your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.